Welcome to the FedHeads, a weekly podcast from GuideHouse. Join the FedHeads each week as Robert Shea and a celebrity guest host talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for another episode of FedHeads. I'm joined again by Donna Roy, Senior Advisor, providing data solutions across the Defense and Homeland Security Network at GuideHouse. Donna, thanks for coming back. So excited to be back. Thank you, Robert. Today, we're going to talk about a subject that's on a lot of people's minds. One of the massive investments the government's made over the last several years is the bipartisan infrastructure law. As many of our listeners will know, it's the biggest investment in restoring the nation's infrastructure in decades. And federal government is challenged to implement that effectively. So are all of the downstream state, local contracting entities that are charged with implementing it. So that's why I'm so excited. We're joined by Keith Benjamin, Associate Administrator for Highway Policy and External Affairs at the Federal Highway Administration. Keith, you're so great to take time to talk to us because I know you've got a lot going on. No, I'm happy to be here. I get a chance to get out of the office, so that's I good. appreciate it. How was the drive? How are the roads? Oh, it's fine. Oh, it's that's fine. good. It's fine. It's fine. So tell us a little bit more about your position. Well, privileged to serve as a presidential appointee uh, for the Federal Highway Administration um, and getting a chance to serve under Acting Administrator Stephanie Pollack and setting a new tone for how we're approaching transportation. My office has the pleasure of having four different categories, one that's covering all policy and congressional affairs, but also data information, transportation policy studies, which includes setting the tone for strategic planning for the entire agency, and then also all international affairs as well. And so we see ourselves as kind of the nexus of our agency and getting a chance to touch on so many varying different uh, topics. So excited to talk with you all today. We're excited to talk to you, especially around data and the importance of understanding the data relative to the DEI uh, initiatives. Can you sort of tell us a little bit about some of the challenges that you've got there? Yeah, I think there's some great work that the secretary has kind of set the tone for when it comes to safety, when it comes to resiliency, when it comes to equity, and data plays a significant role in that. When you think about uh, from a safety perspective, during COVID, you saw the increase in death and injuries, um, especially for those who are using non-motorized modes, but you also saw major speed increases on our roads and highways. Um, Our data information team was doing literally weekly data sets around speed tracing along our highways and roadways, and we saw it massive increase. And so it was important earlier this year for the secretary um, through what we call the National Roadway Safety Strategy to do for the first time in our department's history, say that we want to reach zero deaths on our roadways. Uh, When you think about um, our airlines, when you think about some of our other ways we think about safety, getting to zero is the goal and not an option. And we feel that that should be the case on our roadways as well. And so uh, data plays a significant role in telling that story, but also holding us accountable to what that looks like. On the equity front, that's similar. Um, In May of this year, the department released an equity strategy for how we were going to approach the issues of equity, not just within our NOFOs and guidance and money that we're getting out, but us as a total agency um, in our hiring, in our procuring, in our DBE work, what exactly does that look like in uh, setting particular goals? And those are getting funneled through our strategic plans within all of our operating administrations and the work that both career and non-career staff will be uh, doing. And then on the resiliency side, not only with the very large amount of new programs that are coming through the bipartisan infrastructure law that are putting 
climate change at, at the top of the list, uh, but ways in which we are, through our rulemaking, um, especially around things like greenhouse gas, being able to set a different tone for prioritizing um, resiliency and, and climate change and how we move the needle and emissions that are coming from the transportation industry. So let's back up and talk about the right person infrastructure law in a little bit more detail. We've People talk big picture that it's an enormous investment. I know it covers a lot. You want to just give us a little 101 on the law? Yeah, so the largest investment in our infrastructure in history, largest in transit, largest in air, largest in our sea, and also on our, our roads, highways, and bridges. Of the, the entire package, uh, amongst all the various different federal agencies, is about $1.1, $1.2 trillion. Um, but for U.S. Department of Transportation, it's in the realm of about $550 billion. Um, of that $550 billion, $350 billion of that sits with um, federal highways uh, to have to dole out both in formula funds and also in discretionary. Formula funds are dollars that go directly to the states to obligate um, and disperse. And in our discretionary program are various different um, opportunities for all sorts of eligible entities, not just states, but cities, counties, tribal communities, MPOs, uh, to be able to access funds, not just for capital, but for planning as well. And so we're really excited about it not only because of the opportunity to redefine transportation, but as our secretary has said, maximize the dollars to create change in in the communities, um, especially those that need it the most. We also see it as an opportunity to build a bench. Um, There's so many different programs that have a number of planning dollars. I, previous to this, ran a a city DOT, and uh, one of the things that was just really hard to be able to do was find the resources to get the basics done or be able to plan for the future. And so to be able to, yes, give dollars for capital construction to make new projects happen and uh, check those boxes at the state and local level are great, but also to be able to build that bench of uh, projects for the future, I think is going to be something that's going to be welcomed both at the state and local level. So getting the basics done has been an issue for a lot of communities across the country regarding infrastructure. Does that sort of include the real tactical things like filling potholes and creating um, better service to get to that zero deaths goal? Yeah, I think there's um, a lot of emphasis on that. You take a program like Safe Streets for All, which actually Mm -hmm. is specifically designed for local communities, like actually states Mm -hmm. aren't an eligible entity in that discretionary program. Um, and really, S- you said safe streets for safe streets for all. Okay, for all. Um, it's a discretionary uh, program um, specifically to local communities. So only cities, counties, MPOs qualify for that, um, and it gives them an opportunity to think deeply about uh, how we make our roadways much more safer. But also, how do we plan for it too? Forty uh, percent of those dollars uh, specifically are dedicated to planning. So, um, how do we? Think about what our communities look like, begin to plan for that, and then prepare for actually implementation as well so we can be able to fill both of those gaps. One of the things that we're excited about, too, to your point on the maintenance side, is how local communities can partner with our state entities, even through the formula program process. Of the dollars that are ascribed in the bipartisan infrastructure law, for every dollar in discretionary money, there's $8 in formula. Um, So the bulk of the Mm. money that's going to the bipartisan infrastructure law is going to the states to have to allocate, obligate, um, to 
uh, projects that may have already been prioritized, but also some opportunities to influence. And so the fact that Congress has given some leverage within those formula dollars to kind of signal, hey, work with your local entities, like in the bridge program, where every state has to allocate at least 15% of their dollars to local communities is something that's exciting, right? Because it's encouraging collaboration. It's encouraging partnership in a scenario like what I came from in the local community where the vast majority of our streets and roadways and bridges were owned by the state. That emphasis of partnership, I think, is going to be extremely key to get even, uh, quote, the basics done. Yeah. Donna brought it up at the top of the call. Your focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion and accessibility, broadly speaking, and the data challenges you face in that regard. The infrastructure law comes after the launch of a major government-wide initiative to address the challenges facing traditionally underserved communities. The bipartisan infrastructure law in particular calls for emphasizing remedies to environmental injustice and the degree to which underserved communities have suffered as a result of that. Is that a headwind in implementation of the bipartisan infrastructure law, or is that wind at your back that helps you really drive some major goals of the administration, the secretary, and your department? Yeah, I think one of the things in federal government in general that's just a lesson that I've learned over and over again is how to use existing processes to do new things. And this is one of those places that we've had to maximize that as as much as possible. One of the things that has been exciting has been that for all of the different pieces of the bipartisan infrastructure law, whether it's the guidance that we put out for formula funds or the NOFLs that are put out, we're able to set a tone for not just eligibilities, but where we want to see the priority aspects that we want to see move forward. So if you think about, for example, the Reconnecting Communities grant that is allowing communities to uh, look at pieces of transportation that may have divided communities or created separation and say, hey, how can we think about this? differently, uh, rebuild, replace, or otherwise, not just roadways, but railways as well, that there is within that NOFO specificity on the procuring side, that one of the criterias is uh, what you're doing from a DBE, women-owned business perspective, especially from the planning perspective of their inclusion. And that those are points that are ascribed as projects are being put forward, right? So it's not just simply, hey, are we building what the community wants here? Are we inclusive of the community on the public engagement side? But when it comes to the actual dollars that are spent to get the project done, uh, what, what are we thinking about from an equity perspective too, right? Because to me, that's the totality of equity there. Um, so I, I think there's always when you're trying to make change and, and move things forward, you know, there'll be some growing pains through that. But the Secretary's been clear, like, we want to maximize that value. And maximizing that value means that 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now, we're able to look back on some of these projects and know uh, what they did to benefit community and um, not divide communities. And so our consciousness around that is going to be extremely key. Uh, reconnecting communities. I, I heard a lot about this um, as part of the infrastructure bill, and it, it um, warms my heart. The last major infrastructure bill sort of divided some of these communities, and it's taken us some time to, to get back to that. How are we thinking about sort of measuring success and quantity of data you need to do that over now as you're granting funds and then over the life of these infrastructure projects. It seems enormous of a task to make sure that we're making progress. Well, there's a balance, right? Like there's a policy balance and then there's what this looks like from an implementation perspective, right? Reauthorization is five years, right? And then, you know, congressional world, that means that in the next year or two, the negotiations of the next reauthorization bill are going to start. That's going to be fun. Right? And yeah. so that's just from a practical, you know, yeah. policy perspective, right? 
Um, and so the consciousness around that is is the case. Um, you also have the fact that we passed a bipartisan infrastructure law and we passed the Inflation Reduction Act, which includes another $100 million for permitting to try to figure out how to expedite projects as much as possible towards construction. Another $3 billion for the Neighborhood Access Program, which is in similar vein as the Reconnecting uh, Communities Program, right? So there's additional dollars that have come down the pipe to continue to move the needle forward. So there's a lot of work to do. But I think the measure of success in my mind is that the the train of the bipartisan infrastructure law extends past that five years of reauth, right? You take yeah. um, our bridge discretionary program that's split into three parts: bridge planning, bridge bridges that exceed a hundred million, bridges that are under a hundred million, right? And one of the big pieces of the planning portion of that discretionary program is that projects that are apply and are awarded through the planning portion of that are automatically eligible for the large or not large portion. In a sense to say, hey, you might have a project locally that you're working on. You need to move the needle to get it ready for construction. How do you build that bench of projects going forward right? and uh, think about what that looks like? To me, that's indicative of the type of transportation planning you want to see. So our results aren't just next year or you know, two years from now. We're talking about 10, 15 years from now, projects that were just thoughts or just in the planning stages actualizing themselves, whether from a construction area and you now see them being utilized in the ways that they should and shifting the culture in terms of how people get from point A to point B, or now there's a whole bench of projects that check the box of equity, check the box of safety, check the box of resiliency, and it's becoming a normalcy instead of kind of unicorn situation of projects that come forward. Well, you're the center of one of the biggest things going on in this country. And I can't believe you found time to come talk to us. (laughs) But I also want to emphasize how grateful we are for your service and let you know that we're all counting on you. Oh, man, it's it's a I think one of the awesome things is as as an appointee is the career staff of at USDOT and these people who have been working at this for a long time and this infusion of new dollars and the energy uh, amongst many of the career staff and the work that they've been able to do. Truth of the matter is everything that we've been able to navigate coming up on a year of the bipartisan infrastructure law is because of those staff members both at at headquarters here in D.C., but all throughout in our field operations and otherwise who have worked day and night trying to not just make sure the policy is there, but make sure our eligible entities on the ground know what's what's happening, how they can participate and otherwise. And so many kudos to to all those staff for being able to get us there. Beautifully said. Thanks for joining us today. Of course. Thank you all for having me. 